0: Okay, turn with me to James 3. Okay, we are working our way through the book of James. We love to do this just to work our way through uh, different books of the Bible and see what God is saying to uh, us as a church. And we found our way to James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Father, we pray for your hand upon our lives as we hear your word. As we hear it Unpacked, we do pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd help us see maybe where we're putting our uh, hope and our treasure in things other than you. And we do pray, help us to know what it looks like to live a peaceable life life to seek you, to know you, and to uh, be satisfied with the life that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, wonderful little passage, but it says there in, it's really comparing two types of wisdom. You've got uh, the earthly wisdom and you've got heavenly wisdom, and James is basically comparing uh, the two. And the uh, thing that Mark's earthly wisdom we see it there in verse 14 is it's envy and selfish ambition so if you think about earthly wisdom we're thinking like envy selfish ambition as two things that that mark this type of wisdom and James says that it's possible to harbor those things to harbour those things in our hearts. And I was thinking about like harbouring and and festering. It's something that happens in the heart where sin gets in and things start attaching, like unhealthy, ungodly things start attaching themselves to that harbouring, that envy, that selfish ambition, and more unhealthiness gets in. And I was thinking, like last year, I did a lot of baking of bread and I baked some sourdough and I had a live yeast starter in my fridge Okay, so it's a live starter. It's just live. It's organic. Anyway, I got out of the habit of baking bread, and a few months later, I had a look in the pot, and it was moldy. Just moldy. All right. It was just, I'm sure we've all been there. It was so It was so moldy, but it would just been there, left festering. Okay, and we can do that with envy and selfish ambition. Just It, it can be in our heart. Maybe just in the background, maybe we think we've got a handle on it, but it just festers, and it produces a whole load of unhealthiness. At the heart of it, it's a self-centered attitude. It's this attitude of, I want more. I need to have more. As I'm unpacking this, just let's search our hearts like I... I've done this as well as I've been preparing, and I'll do it now as I preach it. But let's search our hearts. It's this attitude of wanting more. What I have is not enough. It's pride. It's a high view of ourselves. It's selfishness. It's thinking of ourselves far too much. The reality is that the human ego, it searches for something that will give it a sense of worth. We all do this Just searching for worth, searching for, like, what makes me special? What can I build an identity around? C.S. Lewis says that the heart of pride, of envy, of selfish ambition is competitiveness. It's competition at the heart. And I quote, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'll be nothing to be proud about. Oh, that's uh, pretty hard-hitting. I just want to ask the question, are you prone to envy and selfish ambition? Do you sense in your heart, and I do at times, just sense in your heart, like just the thoughts coming in, I want more. I want more of that. Do you compare yourself with others? Because that's often the heart of envy, actually, it's comparison with others. Others are involved in our thought and heart processes. I wish I had their job. I wish I was clever like them. I wish I was married like them. I wish I had children like them. I wish I had a house like them. I wish I was thin like them. I wish I was funny like them. I wish, I wish, I wish. Career envy, kitchen envy, children envy, food envy, upper arm envy, holiday envy, you name it, there is an envy for it. The the ways of the devil are so insidious, just so rooting these things in our hearts and we all have these types of thoughts and the reality is that these things are hugely amplified by the world that we live in and especially social media just amplified by these things. So amplification, we've obviously been, it's been great to hear the music, that music has been amplified. It's been, uh, the, the volume has been raised so that we can all hear it. Sorry. Social media does that with envy and selfish ambition. Has anyone got a phone? Can I just borrow a phone? (laughs) <laughs> Enough of the phones, okay? Um, <laughs> now, um, <laughs> um, now you could call this a mobile phone. You could also call it an NV amplification device. It's not quite as, you know, it's not got as quite a ring to it, but an NV amplification device. On here, we can just scroll through social media, we can look at other people's lives, we can compare ourselves, we can compare what we've got, we can think, oh, I really want what they've got. And actually, maybe I don't want them to have it, I want more than what they've got. We carry this around with us 24 hours a day, we sleep with it next to our pillow, it's there ready to go whenever we need it, we rely so heavily on this, but it amplifies the envy In our hearts. Thanks, Ed. Verse 14, the second part. James gives us a warning. That this attitude is nothing to boast about. He says, do not boast about it and deny the truth. This wisdom itself is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And verse 16 gives us an even greater warning. It says for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now it might only be subtle in your life. You might think yeah I've got a handle on this, You might just think, oh, maybe, yeah, sure, I can see a little bit of that. Maybe it steals a little bit of my joy, my peace. I can see it sort of at work. But this, like, this description of every evil practice, that just, like, I'm so far from that. Like, I've got this. I've got this under control. Romans 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. The reality is that every single sin that we give ourselves to is on the path towards death. That's the end destination of every sin, death. The wages of sin is death. If we keep giving ourselves to sin, it leads to death. That's what we get paid at the end of it. And envy and selfish ambition, it leads to disorder, not only in our own hearts, but in the lives of those around us and in our lives more broadly. And ultimately, it leads to death. The reality is that envy takes us further and further away from the life giver. That's what it does. The wage of sin is death. Another way of putting that is that it just takes us further and further away from the giver of life, from Jesus. Because if we've got envy and selfish ambition in our hearts, and if we're thinking that way, that's not life-giving. That's not what Jesus has for us. That's not the life that he promises us. So before we get to see like, what's the solution, like, what's the good news, what's the medicine uh, for this heart condition? Well, the heart, uh, just to you know, identify in the heart, it's at, at the root of it is pride. It's a competitive nature. Never satisfied. It's thinking about ourselves way too much. It's self centered living, self centered thinking. So we need help. We need much help and much grace. And thankfully, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we find much grace. We find much help. It's good that God identifies in our hearts where there's sin. That's good, just like a doctor who comes to us and says, look, there's this problem. You need help, but here's the treatment. Here's the solution. That's good news, that we need that. Like, if we're dying physically, it would be good to know that, okay? And the reality is the Bible tells us we're dying spiritually. It's good to know that. But there is help, wonderful help. Turn me to verse 17 and 18. says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, that is the wisdom that I want. That's the wisdom that I know many of you want as well. Pure, peace-loving, considerate or... Gentle, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So, how do we move from this place of envy and selfishness and selfish ambition in our hearts to this place of godly, heavenly wisdom? Well, if envy and selfish ambition come from being self centered, of thinking about ourselves too highly, is the solution just to think less of ourselves? To have a low view of ourselves. Have low self-esteem. To think, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm rubbish. Like, if I'm thinking, if I'm going after, like, wanting more of what other people have and I'm comparing myself, I'm envious, maybe I just need to think, oh, yeah, I'm rubbish. Like, if I, if I just make the focus even more on myself and how rubbish I am, maybe that's the solution. No, certainly not. Okay, if you've turned to follow Jesus, you put your hope and trust in him, you are a child of God. You are loved, accepted, cherished. He receives you. He's accepted you. He's adopted you. You are precious in his sight. We are co-heirs with Christ. These are the realities of who we are as Jesus's brothers and sisters, as God's children. So instead of that, instead of thinking about like yeah having a low view of ourselves, actually we need to think of ourselves less. Okay, I know that's a subtle difference. We need some self-forgetfulness. There's a wonderful little book. Just quick book plug. Super short. You can read it in like an hour. Freedom of self-forgetfulness by Tim Keller. I found this so helpful for just thinking like. How can I do that? How can I think about myself less? Read that in about an hour. That will really help you and help you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and not on yourself. What that book does really helpfully is it helps us see who we are in Christ. Because before we can, I I think, before we can forget about ourselves, actually, we need a right view of ourselves. Otherwise, we'll keep going back to the sin. We'll keep going back to seeing ourselves, having a wrong view of ourselves. So, imagine you're holding a heavy weight. Just hold out both your hands in front of you. Yeah, you're holding a heavy weight called envy. Okay, if you're going yeah, to receive the gift of God's grace, what do you need to do with that heavy weight? Put it down. Get rid of it. Go on, get rid of it. Yeah, try to hurt the person next to you. Great. You actually have to get rid of that. You can't keep holding that if you're going to embrace and receive, receive the gift of God's grace. And I mean truly receive it. Sometimes I'll say to my kids, we'll just be around, and I'll say, I love you. And they're just running off like they're running off, pit. basically they're picking their nose, they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they're not listening to what I'm saying to them. I'm like, no, come here, I want you to, sometimes I just say that and, they, you know, they get on. Sometimes I'm like, no, come here, look at me, look in my eyes, I love you. I want them to receive that deep down in their hearts, I don't just want them to hear it and be like, oh, yeah, if someone else asks me, does dad love you? And they know the answer is yes. No, that's just like intellectual. It's not enough. I want them to know it and feel it so they never doubt it. So if someone says, your dad doesn't love you, they just go, fine, and just walk off. Like, just water off a duck's back. Never going to doubt it. Because they've received it deep down into their hearts. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants to receive his grace, receive his love, receive who we are deep down in our hearts and in our minds so that we live from that place. Did you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only religion, if we call it uh, that, that gives the verdict before the performance? that is good news. So Islam, Buddhism, you get the verdict at the end. You get the verdict after the performance. You better hope that you match up to what Allah or the other gods want of you. But really, you just don't know what the verdict's going to be. I mean, that is not a safe place to live. That is not a healthy place to live out of. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ does the verdict come before the performance. And the verdict that Jesus gives us for us who come to him, it's not guilty. We are justified in him. We are made right. We are free where his children were adopted. It's wonderful. Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer on trial because Christ went on trial for us. It was an unjust trial, and like the like the lamb before the shearers, he was absolutely silent. He was struck and beaten and he was put to death. Why? To be our substitute, to take our place. He took the condemnation that we deserve for all the envy and selfish ambition of serving ourselves. He faced the trial that should have been ours so that we don't have to face That judgment trial. And all along, he didn't envy after another way or a different assignment. Instead, he took our envy and in return, he gave us his righteousness. That's the gift that God gives us. He gives it to those who repent. Repentance just means turning from our sins, so turning from our envy and turning towards Jesus. For life. Maybe we need to do that today. Maybe you need to do that today. Turn to Jesus. He'll welcome you in. He's got life in abundance. Don't worry, he's not going to run out. He's got it for you. And he's ready to receive us. Now this changes everything. Living from that place of acceptance changes everything. It changes our whole lives. It changes how we relate to ourselves. It changes how we relate to other people. It changes how we are at work or at home. It changes our relationship with money and possessions. If we live from a place of already having been been accepted and already having absolutely everything, we're co-heirs with Christ, well, then we've got nothing left to prove. We already have everything. We don't have to prove ourselves to seek worth and acceptance in our career, in money, family, friends, relationships. We are totally freed from that weight. So in reality, I know you sort of threw that weight off and I guess there is part of that. In reality, Jesus took that weight first. If you want to pick that up, that is your choice. You can pick it up again, but you will live from that place again. Jesus has taken it. Don't pick it up. You don't have to. You're loved and accepted and cherished. Okay, so having done that, we can stop focusing on ourselves and focus on others. That's the freedom of self-forgetfulness we see um, in that Tim Keller book, and I'd really recommend reading it. But if we look just quickly at verse 17, and I'll give, we're just going to look at one of these elements before we, we close. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. There's a big overlap here with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In reality all of these things they're largely outward focused, focused on other people. We can't really tell if we're growing in a lot of these things without relationship with others. They're outward focused and we we can really tell if we're walking in the good of these when we look at our relationships with other people. But I just want to look at that word considerate, or it could be translated gentleness. It's a beautiful word. One writer called it sweet reasonableness. I love that. I want some more sweet reasonableness. So often I'm not sweet and I'm not reasonable. (laughs) I need more of that. We need more of that. This gentleness is the lovely attribute of a redeemed character and godly wisdom. It's the way that we walk. So often we think wisdom is about how we talk. You think, oh, if I just get some wisdom from someone. Like if someone's wise, you might think, oh, they can tell me what the right answer is. Actually, wisdom is more about how we walk, how we live, how we apply God's word to our lives and how we live it out. This gentleness, it's a steadfast gentleness. It's strong. It's not weak. It submits to dishonor, to disgrace, to mistreatment, to persecution from others with an attitude of humility, an attitude of kindness, and an attitude of patience. All things that Jesus excelled in when he walked on this earth and that he helps us grow in as we walk with him. Now, one of the big killers of gentleness, other than having an envious spirit, is busyness and hurry, being in too much of a hurry, because it's impossible to be gentle when you're in a hurry. If you're rushing around life, if life's just so busy, you're basically juggling plates, you can't be gentle with those around you. Even just this week, trying to get the kids out of the door Tuesday morning, and I was I'd do the score on Tuesday morning, trying to get the kids out the door. Um, I'm just really struggling to be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, they're just doing everything they can to try and make it hard. Um, Not intentionally, but that's how it feels to me. Um, So just trying to get them out the door, like get your coats. None of them are going to where the coats belong. Get your shoes on. Um, You know, one of them, uh, I say, put your coat on. They start taking their jumper off. I'm like, this just isn't working, okay? But what I end up doing, because I'm in a hurry, I'm cajoling them, I'm putting pressure on them, I'm... Quick to be irritable and impatient with them. I'm not really seeing a person before me. I'm just seeing a task that needs to be done. It's really, really hard or impossible to be gentle under those circumstances. We do well to learn from Jesus and slow down. And slow down. Some of us are just living too busy lives, we've got too much on. Maybe we've got too much going on in our lives. Maybe we've got too much going on in in our head and hearts. Maybe we've got too much just like comparison with other people. So we're driving, driving, driving. We need to slow down. Jesus was never in a rush. Do you see that when you read through the Gospels? Never in a rush. Jude's speaking about Lazarus, raising Lazarus next week at renewal. And like he was so late to get to Lazarus, that Lazarus had already died. Like, that is not in a rush, okay? Just was not in a rush, never in a rush. He was there for the people around him. He was present with people, and he was gentle with them. You see that with the woman at the well, gentle with her. You see that with uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, and the, uh, the Pharisaical leaders were ready to stone her. He was gentle with her. Let's slow down, simplify life. Last few months, I've, I've tried just to hardly watch any telly. Okay, I've watched a bit, but I was watching way too much before. And I was doing that largely because I was just like, end of a day, crash out, you know, watch something, get some sleep, and I'll, hopefully I'll be ready for the next day. Like, false promises, absolute false promises. I was like, I can't keep living like this, or I don't want to keep living like this. Jesus doesn't want me to keep living like this. So I just cut a load of telly. Just canceled Netflix. Stopped watching it. It's obviously freed a lot of time up. (laughs) But it's just a simplification. It's like, I don't need to worry about that. I can, you know, focus on other stuff. Simplification. Maybe some of you need to simplify life. Think, maybe I am in a rush. Maybe I'm doing too much. It's a great antidote not only for busy- busyness, simplification, but a hurried spirit. Um, sorry, a great antidote for a hurried spirit and also combating an envious spirit. Another quick book plug ruthless elimination of hurry, really, really helpful for this. Like, just for getting to the heart of like, why do we hurry? You know, you might spot yourself, like, always rushing to, like, the traffic lights or, like, oh, I've got to get across this road quickly or I've got to, oh, get to the car quick. Like, you just end up, like, walking really quickly. It's like, why, why are we walking quickly? I don't know. I've got to get somewhere. We're just always in a hurry. Pardon? It's the culture here. Yeah. Well, you help us walk slowly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. If you see Boniface walking really slowly out of the door, <laughs> it's, uh, Yeah. No, it's so true. It's the culture. Yeah, and we do well to not get swept up, uh, swept up into it. But that book, really helpful, just gives lots of practical tips just for simplifying life. We can pray as well. I'd encourage us to respond now. Let's stand. And Karis and Band, if you could come back. I want us to put this into like. I want us to actually relate to Jesus now. He's spoken to us by his word. Let's talk to him about this. Let's ask him to search our hearts. Maybe saying to Jesus, look, if there is this envious spirit in my heart, this competitive spirit, this selfish ambition, ask him to reveal it. He's a good father. He will love you through it. He'll help you through it. He'll put people around you to help you, and he will walk with you in it. Take time to pray, asking God to give you a spirit of gentleness and to take away any feelings of self-righteousness or envy. Ask him to reveal ways that you can show gentleness to others. Maybe God's been putting people in your heart where you just think, oh, I've not been gentle with them, but I've not yet said sorry or repaired with them. There's a wonderful promise right at the end there. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So if we live envious and selfish lives, we'll reap, there it is in verse 16, disorder and every evil practice. If we seek Jesus and follow Jesus, if we're peace-loving, considerate, if we sow that, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus, we do pray you'd help us in this. Please, would you speak to us now? Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Jesus, if there are things that we are giving ourselves to, attitudes that we've formed in our hearts and minds, we do pray that you'd release those now in Jesus' name. Lord, where there are things, maybe patterns, ways of thinking that we might have adopted over many years. Maybe we've got them from parents or from friends, and we just think, I just can't see a way out of this. I keep going back to it. Jesus, break those strongholds in Jesus' name, we pray. We want freedom. We want your freedom, Jesus, and we know you're offering it. Help us to walk in the good of that. Help us to always come back to you, Jesus, when we get it wrong. To repent, to turn back to you. We love you. We want to say thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are gentle with us. Thank you that you went to the cross. You died for us. You took our envy upon yourself. And you've given us your righteousness. You've given us new hearts with new desires that we can walk in the good ways that you've got planned for us. We love you, Jesus, but help us, help us as a body to grow in this, to grow in gentleness with one another. We know it's inf- gentleness is a wonderfully infectious thing, and we, we pray that we would grow in that in these coming weeks and months. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen. We've got an opportunity to take communion, to respond as well. I'd encourage you maybe just you know, uh, pray, talk to Jesus, maybe on your own, but also take communion um, and maybe pray with someone else. Like if you just want someone to pray with you and to go up uh, together, there's the bread um, and the juice. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, we're coming back to, to him at the cross. He died for us, shed his blood. His body was broken for us. We're reorienting our lives around Jesus. That's what we're doing when we take communion. So let's take some time to respond and um, let's do that now. Church family just... uh